0: Today on the Rita Made Me Do It Show.
1: I think every investor, if you want to be successful, you have to have have two games. You have to have the long game and the short game. So the short game means, you know, sort of your um, cash flow type um, of investments. Uh, Things that will give you money that you can sustain yourself, your family and and allow you to allow you to fuel the growth of your long-term plans. So, and then long-term, the long games is basically things that say a piece of land or a project that's going to take three years to to even break ground. You know, you can do that, and those are those tend to be riskier. Um, so, what I do is there's a balance. You know, I try to do probably eighty percent in these. You know, cash flow type of things that allow me to um, sustain my my lifestyle and you know and whatever I need. But then I have these really really risky, <laughs> even by my standards, investments. Where if I lose if I lose it, doesn't lose my I I, I won't lose my shirt. Uh, but if I do really well uh, then that's like, you know, sort of, you know, it's like life changing money. Because of Rita, I got on the
2: news. Because of Rita, I had 15 speaking engagements last year. Because of Rita, I've become a six-figure business owner. Because Because of Rita, 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 I've doubled my
1: revenue by doubling my
0: clients. I'm Rita, business strategist, speaker, and success coach. Also known as the gal who went on 35 dates in 35 days and blogged all about it. And this is the Rita Mimi Do It Show, where every week I bring you the real information about what it takes to go all in on your dreams so that you can build a profitable business and live a positive life. Some weeks I'll have a guest and others it'll be just you and me. Like we're out on my deck sharing a bottle of wine. The conversation, yeah, it'll be that real. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. I am really excited to introduce you to my guest today, Roger Lynn. Now, there is so much that I could talk with Roger about balancing the demands of entrepreneurship and family, business partnerships, money, investing, and I am gonna try to hit on all of it. But the one thing that I do know is you are gonna walk away with an understanding that going all in on your business can mean many different things to many different people. But one thing that's universal is that going all in requires investing. It requires investing your money Your time, your attention, and your energy. And that can be a really scary thing to do. But embracing a mindset that will allow you to do it is really crucial for success. And today, Roger and I are gonna talk about just that. But Before we do, it's time for another She's All In segment, where you get to share your stories about how you've gone all in on your business. It is time to bet on yourself by going all in. Today, you get to meet Rachel Peavy, and she shares with us her story of the catalyst that helped her take the leap and invest fully in her business, The Blissful Budget.
2: Rachel Peavy, and I have a company called Blissful Budget. And through Blissful Budget, I help soul-centered entrepreneurs get a handle on their finances through money coaching that combines the soulful and the practical so that they can optimize their income and ditch financial overwhelm for good. So a way that I went all in on my business was um, really going all in. I left the corporate nine-to-five world a couple years ago and started a PR business. My background was in PR and marketing. And it was very, very successful and very profitable, but it was not bringing me joy or happiness. It was just stressing me out. And i've always been interested in personal finance and budgeting and i'm that weird friend who really loves spreadsheets and loves to help you with your budget and look at the numbers but also do the work around mindset with money and uh, rewriting some of our stories we hold around money so this year in june i actually closed my pr business and knew that i i couldn't do both at the same time if i was going to make this whole budget work i needed to make it my primary focus Um, So I did it, I took the leap, I closed my very profitable business and jumped in full force with Blissful Budget and it does bring me so much joy working with my clients and helping them find change. So the best way for people to learn more about me is through my Instagram feed, which is at Budget Blissful and there I post daily content five days a week, try to provide tons of value and free tips. So definitely follow me there at this full budget on Instagram.
0: Thanks, Rachel. It can be so easy to lose track of why we want to go into business and remembering that it's about the joy to make going all in and making all of those hard decisions that going all in requires a little bit easier. Want to share your story of going all in on your business? Just send an audio file to the show at feedback at com. The clip should be no more than one and a half minutes and should say your name, your business, who you help, what you do, and how you've gone all in. And one way everyone can find out more. I am so excited to talk about money and investing. Roger, thank you so much for being here with me today.
1: Well, thank you, Rita, for inviting me.
0: The way Roger and I met was really it was really interesting. So we have a common friend and, and we're gonna talk about uh the venture that she runs and that Roger is a partner with her on a little later. But as Facebook does, it shows who you have in common. And so, when I friended Roger on Facebook, I saw that we have a friend named Mike in common who I knew from high school. And it turns out Roger knew Mike from military college. Correct? No,
1: no, it was actually high school too. He, oh, okay. High I think school. I um, He probably transferred to my high school mm-hmm. uh, from
0: my high school. Yeah, he was only there for like a year at my high school.
1: Okay. Yeah. So so yeah, he went to he went to Westtown, which is a Quaker boarding school with me, um, I guess for three years. Yeah. So,
0: yeah. So that was like the most random connection (laughs) ever. And I was like, okay, well, Roger and I are meant to be friends and now we're supposed to talk. (laughs) And so, um, but I've learned so much about Roger from, I mean, just from following him online, but from some of our common friends and what Roger, one thing I really find interesting and I can't wait to dig into and find out more is you were like me, right? I seem to attract these people into my life who were lawyers and we were like following kind of a traditional lawyer path. And then at a certain point, we're like, I'm out of here. Like, I'm so over this. I can't wait to get out. And so at least that's how I felt about it. I don't know how you felt about it, but we're going to find out. So, But not only were we both like law school lawyers, but real estate. Attorneys, And so one of the ways that I started when I went into general practice was doing, I think, very similar to what you did, which was I was doing a lot of residential landlord tenant law. We had a title company associated with our law firm. So I was doing residential real estate closings on behalf of the, the title company. And then I moved into kind of commercial Real estate and commercial leasing. So, tell me a little bit about your your path. Like, why why were you going to grow up and be a lawyer? Like, why was that something you wanted to do, or was it? And then, what made you stop and deviate from that traditional path?
1: So, I think you know, uh, I actually did had a have a good reason to go into law school at the time that I thought you know I wanted to study human rights. Um, so I went to American, which was known for their international human rights clinic. Uh, went through the program, uh, passed the bar, and but you know I couldn't find a job in human rights um, at that point. Was sort of the dot com crash, um, and two thousand two, two thousand three period, um, and. Um, I met my wife. Um, we decided to buy a house and um, it was kind of funny. I was so desperate that I thought, you know what? the guy who's telling me where to sign that job. that's easy to get <laughs> or, <laughs> um, um, But so you know, and also the other thing was also, I, I always had an interest in real estate. So joking aside, you know, I did want to explore, uh, some sort of an entry into the real estate world. Um, I was always interested in investments. Uh, I was always interested in how finding out how money works. So that was sort of my entry point into real estate. Um, so I practiced that for a couple of years, uh, doing the last, you know, sort of the go, go years of residential real estate, doing a ton of closings, uh, handle a lot of title issues, and then decided uh, when my daughter was born, you know, after a few months, my wife was going back to work. She said, well, I want to go back to work, but I only want to do halftime. And I also don't want to put her in daycare. <laughs> so I thought, hmm, how do I do this? <laughs> uh, so um, I was actually... I. At that point, I had left the real estate firm. I was actually doing contract attorney work, uh, document review type thing. So there was some flexibility there. So I was able to convince my my boss at uh, Hogan and Hartson to basically let me work about 20 to 25 hours a week. (laughs) So it was great. Uh, But that allowed me to also sort of hatch a business plan out of the legal practice. Um, so, so that was, that was an opportunity and I decided to take it. And, um, you know, I didn't exactly know what I was doing uh, but I just knew I wanted to invest in real estate and essentially, you know, I said, Hey, um, I don't know what the heck I'm doing, uh, but, um, I just don't want to practice law anymore. And what about, you know, building a real estate investment company for the family, And they're like, okay, I could, you know, they're they're all professionals, and you know, have no knowledge in investments. And I explained to them, hey, from a professional family, it's actually really hard to step out of that. Um, That sort of, you know, hey, you went to good schools, you got good grades, you got a good job. Um, How do you, um, you know, basically, you know, they they don't understand. Uh, typically how what entrepreneurship is and I want to explore that and I also wanted to basically figure out how money works so I can pass that knowledge uh, down to my children and whoever else wants to know uh, so then it you know the the traditional path does not have to be the only way
0: Yeah. No, there's some good things in there that I kind of want to dig into. And one that I really love, and it's funny because I was just having this conversation with a client of mine the other day, and she said, you know, Rita, I want to start my own company. I'm at the beginning of starting my own company, as you know, but I also – need money to pay bills and do things with my family. And so I'm getting a part-time job while I build my business. And I feel like that sends a signal out to the world that I'm not serious about my business, right? And I think there's a lot of talk, in, especially in the online space and online coaching and online communities around. You, and I run, a, I run a whole group called the All-In Entrepreneur. But one thing people say are, well, you're not really all in on your business if you're not All in on your business, right? You need to quit your job and burn down everything and burn all the bridges, and then you're going to be successful and you're going to go far in your business. But if you have like a plan B or you have a a job, you know, on the side, you're just not going to really be in the mindset to grow your business. I think that that's completely false. I think that that's completely not true and probably not a great idea for about 99 of the people to quit their job while they're starting their own business so i'm I'm curious about that with you because you did have this other source of income right while you were were growing and, and hatching your plan for your job how do you think that that helped you instead of hindered you in terms of starting your real estate I think, business I, like- think
1: I think well so my circumstance was a little bit different what happened? after my daughter went back i mean my wife went back to work was she would work three days a week and then take care of our daughter two days a week and i would do the reverse i would take care of her three days a week and work two days um and then i would say probably within probably six months of um continue to work at the law firm i decided you know what this is time to This is my opportunity to jump. And so um, I stopped working uh, for the law firm and, you know, started digging into real estate investments, using those two days. And also whenever my daughter was napping to figure out how to do this. And so, I mean, I don't think it's, I don't think you have to like quit everything and work 40 hours a, a week to to build your business from the beginning because the thing is uh, things take time you know <laughs> you yeah. can't you can't build everything at once you know we
0: can pretty much in the podcast interview right now because <laughs> that's a lesson that every entrepreneur needs to really hold on to right like things take time right. and you can't do everything all at once
1: right and then yeah. so you just need to um I think it I think it's a, a gradual sort of um, process is uh, is very suitable because the thing is also when you build when you write a business plan, I've written maybe 10, 15 of them. And I have to tell you the truth is none of them actually happened.
0: <laughs> right? <laughs> um, yes.
1: So all the businesses that I've actually built. Uh, we're not based on these business plans. It
0: had no business plan, right? <laughs> there
1: pro- were good sort of um, uh, a, a good process to go through, just so yes. that you know you're thinking about things methodically. But what really happens when you actually start from day one is you realize, oh, what the heck was I thinking? You know this this is not how the world works. Right, and so then you you need to start adjusting, right? And eventually you go, uh, maybe just me, I don't know. But eventually I go from one business to the next, and and it just it just snowballs, or you know it pivots. And so, you know, I've been without a job <laughs> since two thousand seven. <laughs> um, you know, my wife's always asked me, uh, so why is it that you do something different every three years? But to me, it's not really different. I have certain goals, that um, long-term goals. But, you know, within that, there's a range of things that I do. Um, and, it's you know, certain things do eventually change because perceptions are no longer the same because you've gained some experience. Uh, but, you know, like I said, it just, you know, it takes time. So, you know, you, you can't expect everything to happen at once yeah. and the same way you want it to happen.
0: Well, and that's it, right? I, I I, say this all the time. I'm like, you can only think your way so far in anything, right? Like you can get information and you can create plans and you can have an idea, but until you start doing it. You're just never really going to know. And so that that brings up another interesting point too around the pivots. And what I love about this is so many entrepreneurs, and I I know you mentor some and you talk to some. And one thing that I, I see is they'll come to me and say, okay, Rita, I'm ready for a business coach. And this is what I need your help with. I need your help creating a logo and creating my branding and creating my website look and all of this stuff. And I'll say, wait, First, I'm not a branding strategist, but second, how long have you been in business? And they're like, Well, I'm just starting. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Like the website and the colors and the logo and the branding. And that's the last thing you should be thinking about because it's gonna change like what you are right now today as you start building your company in a year, two years, it's going to be so different and it's going to feel so different. And you're going to wish you had not invested $5,000 in a logo and some colors that no longer represent your your business. And so I love that you bring that up because it is true that like, again, I don't think people really know until they do it that it's never, it's just never what you think it's going right. to be. It's usually better. Right? It's always always right. better. But also, right, one thing you, you talked about is how money works and ah, oh, this is I circled that because I really want to get into that that conversation because this is the piece for so I mean, if you don't have a good relationship with money and a good understanding of money as an entrepreneur, there're going to be so many things that that hold you back. But what I want to what I want to ask you about is, had you grown up in a family that was open around money? Like what was your experience growing up around money? Was it your family had a healthy relationship. There were conversations around money or was it completely the opposite?
1: I would say it's a mixed bag. Um, I'm from a family of a bunch of doctors, you know, okay. and they're, you know, so they, they all, I grew up in Taiwan. Uh, they all work really hard and you, you realize sort of as they get more successful, get better at what they do, they get busier. Uh, They make more money, but they get busier. So, you know, so I think it was around 19. My mom gave me a book uh, called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And, you know, I first was like, what is this? You know, but then I read it and I realized, you know, he's right. You know, it's a rat race. And if you, you know, if you're a professional, what happens is the better you get, the more specialized you are, the busier you get. So, you know, and then you don't have the time to enjoy the money either, you know. So I, I wanted to figure out a way to decouple time and money. So t- the, t- the amount of time I spend and the money I make, I do not want a relationship between those two things. Yeah. So that was, that was one of my goals. And I also wanted to understand how do you, you know, how do you actually make money? Like, like somebody pays you a paycheck, that's not really making money. That's sort of a pre-agreed um, contract that I'm going to sell you this amount of time and my expertise for this amount of money. You know, so so back to the decoupling of the two relationships, you know, I wanted it to be unrelated and, you know, and I also wanted uh, my – children to be able to say hey i want to study something that's totally interesting to me but doesn't make any money and still have a a a way of making a living so you know and that so that's that's how i sort of got into this but i would say growing up my family um i think they were generally healthy with money uh, my mom particularly sort of introduced me to a lot of things that, you know, sort of, you know, was sort of out of the box for my family because she, she was not afraid of taking out bank loans to, to sort of grow, a, grow their business. My dad's a doctor, they have a clinic, um, and she was not afraid to buy real estate with, with loans, investment real estate. Um, she was, you know, she had some, you know, she purchased stocks, she sold stocks, uh, so different things, you know, she, I wouldn't say she's a professional investor, but you know, she was good with, she's, she's always been good with money and she's always not had this sort of fear about money. You know, I think a lot of people, they think about money, they're like, oh, this is like something I don't understand. All I understand is I work and I get paid. And um, I think that's something that entrepreneurs need to get over.
0: Oh, we're going to talk about that today. I mean, I have notes galore already. I mean, I thought I knew what I was going to talk about with you, but now I have something completely different that I'm going to talk about with you. But let's talk let, Let's talk a little bit about when you did leave, when you decided, okay, I'm going to do this and I am going to go and quit the, the part-time with the law firm. Go go all in on what I am trying to to do. Um, There are a couple of questions around that. One is, how did your family react? Right, doctors, traditional. (laughs) Right, how were they when you're like, look, I I know I went to law. I know how my mom was when I was like, look, I know I went to law school. No, I invested all that money and probably am still paying some of it back. But I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just not going to do that anymore. How did your family react when you were really out?
1: Yeah. So so it was really interesting and i wanted to sort of ease them into this and that was that was part of the reason i you know and i think with my mom it was very easy because she's the one who sort of planted the seed you yeah. know, when i was 18 19 and um with my dad you know he he's always been supportive of whatever i do but you know and he 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 has a, an ability to understand things intellectually, but he might not actually get it on a emotional sense, you know? So I would say for years, I think it was like for like three or four years after I, you know, started my business, he, he, you know, I would have phone conversations with him, and he would always ask me. So, when are you going to go back to practice in law?
0: Yes. <laughs> what well, are you gonna? When are you going back to being a lawyer? How How much longer is that going to be? Yeah, yeah, I remember so, that question. I still get it sometimes.
1: Yeah, and, and they always say, and also my in laws say the same thing. They're always like, "Hey." make sure you keep your law license.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. My mom's like, you're keeping up on all your continuing legal education, right? Like, yes.
1: And I do, but <laughs>
0: yes, exactly. Do,
1: and, and and it is, it is actually a great thing to have, yes. uh, but, but what it is is with my dad is, you know, I think, I think that was the most significant part for me because I wanted, you know, I, I really respect him. So I wanted him to understand. Uh, so I think after, so I, I, you know, talk to him in detail about some of the things I do uh, that I think he might understand intellectually. Um, And and so eventually he stopped asking. I don't know what convinced him eventually, but, Mm -hmm. you know, and and so, you know, I think they're (laughs) open-minded. And my my in-law side, you know, they're also doctors. And, you know, my mother-in-law actually and I have these long conversations about money you know, I'm, you know, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, I'm the only person on both sides of the family that's sort of entrepreneurial. And so we, you know, they, they understand, okay, you know, Roger understands how money works. And so I am a student of like, you know, I'm trying to learn how to invest in different things. And so that, you know, it's very, it's a very interesting conversations that I have with my in-laws. And I, you know, it helps me build that relationship.
0: Um, yeah, no, I like, I like that. And I think my my mom stopped asking when she realized I didn't have to ask her for money. She was like, oh, I guess Rita's making it work because she hasn't had to ask me for any money. So she must be making some. And I guess that's when when she stopped. Right? So I definitely want to talk to you around the money conversation and investments let's let's talk a little bit so my audience knows what did you kind of go so we we've said generally like and now I invest in real estate yeah. but what do you really so, do what are all the different things you do have Yeah that's sort
1: of change over time so so um you know I I'll I'll just I'll try to be quick about it but it's it it was a long sort of evolution mm-hmm. um, I started out thinking hey this is what I'm going to do I'm going to take The capital I assembled. I'm gonna buy a few houses, um, and then I'm gonna refinance a portion of that out. I'm gonna buy more houses and just basically build this portfolio of homes. And it's not. It wasn't that easy. This even even when I started, you know, basically 2008 timeframe. There was you know the the Great Recession, and market real estate market was was um, very depressed and. It was, I mean, I would say there was blood on the streets, you know, but it was still not easy, especially in the DC area to, to actually try to do what I had planned to do. So I sort of started looking into sort of easier, lower hanging fruits. Um, And I met a lot of investor friends, people who were flipping houses. Um, And I had no experience in doing that. So I said, you know what, but I understand legal documents. So I've seen a ton of those loan documents <laughs> and I have people who can prepare these things for me. So I said, you know what? How about this? You teach me how to flip a house. Um, you, you give me open book, give me front row seats. I will fund your next deal. <laughs> and so that's how I started. Um, and eventually I realized, wait, I have too much money out like this and I still don't know how to flip a house. And so I bought a house, flipped it, took me a month to make $5,000. And I was like, oh, I'm not very good at this. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, um, but you know, all the loans were given, were basically providing a lot of these cash flow that allow me to explore. So, so it gave, it bought me time and freedom. You know, and and it allowed me to s- strategically focus, um, you know, where I think I can make the most impact, and also where I can sort of develop myself. Um, so I went from flipping a house to building uh, building new construction homes, um, and then I got really deep into uh, green buildings um and you know had a few successes you know um in those in those um capacities so i built a few um houses in Arlington and, and Fairfax and then I decided you know what this is really really risky because basically the situation is you you buy a property you put more money into building it you actually you knock down the house so you eliminate its value <laughs> and then yeah. and then you put something up. And then, you know, the only reason I was able to do it was I could read legal documents. I could read the code and I could, you know, if I'm, you know, what I want to do is challenged by code officials, I can actually explain to them, hey, you should really read this right here. And, and I learned how to manage subs, um, all these contractors. Um, but I realized this is not what I wanted to do. Uh, I didn't want to be picking tiles. <laughs> <didn't want> <laughs>
0: no, no, really. <laughs>
1: um, so I wanted to figure out, and also the, the, the risk part was, you know, there was a lot of, it was a lot of risk in terms of how to finance the deal and how to get out of it. You know, so essentially in that business model, you finance the deal through cash equity, or loans, and then you get out of the deal by either selling or renting, you know, and refinancing. So, I, you know, it was okay. Um, and then I also, at the same time, bought a few uh, investment homes that were basically just bringing in, um, you know, passive income, rental, rental homes. So I built a portfolio of 16 units at some point, and then I decided, you know what, this is good to sort of give me that cash flow. But how do I, like, Like, what's the next step? You know, I and, and I didn't want to, I, I wanted to figure out how to diversify my investment strategies. Uh, and I wanted to stay in real estate. So, you know, so that's actually when I went back to school. I went to George Mason for the real estate development program, um, you know, to figure out how to diversify from single family. And so now I do all sorts of different things in real estate. Um, I invest with bigger developers, uh, in land deals, in shopping centers, in, um, office buildings. And then I do, um, I still fund some investors when they flip houses. I still do that because those are great relationships that I've kept. Um, and then, you know, basically I, you know, I, i I've sort of transitioned into sort of full-time relationship building. (laughs)
0: Okay. Okay. Like monetizing. And so really what you have, and I know you have your hand in a couple of different things with real estate. So you're doing everything you said. You have some Airbnb properties. You're uh, a partner with Her Hideaways, which we'll talk about uh, in a little bit. So it's all touching and concerning real estate, but in different ways of generating Revenue, right? For that diversity. So, um, one thing I do want to talk to you about is this idea of risk taking, because you can't be an entrepreneur without taking risk. And here's something that I see with the the women who are joining uh, the all-in entrepreneur. Right? There's so many things that they want to do, and what they say is, "Well, after I've gotten so many clients, or after I've made so many sales, or after I've generated this income, then." I will invest in whatever. I'll invest in a business coach. I'll invest in the software I need. I'll invest in a in an assistant. I'll invest in an in office space for me after I'm generating all of the money, right? And, right? and what I try to say is it might not be until after you've made this investment in your business coach or in an assistant or in the office space or in the software that you will be making the money. And I get it. I get the mindset. I get the hesitancy and the fear around a true investment, right? The difference between spending, which is I have money and I'm going to spend it, and investing, which is like, I am putting money in not being 100% sure of the return that I'm going to get. What do you think is ha- has helped you that could help people who are listening kind of understand what they need to embrace or cultivate to feel as comfortable as possible with taking risks and making investments in their business?
1: Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think this is this is a this is a difficult one uh, for people who are who have never taken risks uh, because I I sort of t- think about um, so in the investment community we think about we talk about risk tolerance and thresholds you know so there is a there is a relationship between risk and reward. Uh, and it's a very strong one. The more risk you take, you should expect a higher reward. So, you know, you have to start by taking smaller risks. You know, so if you look at the way I did my business, um, I mean, I think uh, somebody who's not um, familiar with real estate, they would say, "Oh, real estate is risky." You know, yes, it is risky. Depends on what what you do, right? Um, so I, the way I started out was uh, basically these first, first trust, uh, you know, first trust liens um, on properties um, that basically using legal documents and ways of risk mitigation, I felt really, really secure. And I was able to get a certain amount of um, certain amount of profits out of that. Uh, so my reward was high enough for me to justify these risks okay so but as 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 i go along um in my sort of career um i start to feel hey i'm i'm more comfortable with high a little bit more risk now you know and but but you always have to mitigate it and you know i believe in this thing called um, so, so the way I look at risk, and and this may be a little bit different from what you are talking about, because I haven't really had a lot of experience with, you know, investing in, in say uh, equipment or investing in like human resources. Because mm-hmm. um, I like to, I really like to stay under the radar, and I also like to keep myself very small. So, you, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't have employees. I think it's, it's like a muscle you just slowly develop um, and just get used to it. And, and as you learn, you need to develop your uh, risk mitigation strategies as well. So the higher risk you take, you know, that part of you needs to grow as well. So then, so then you can continue to, to take higher risk and, and seek higher rewards. Um, so yeah, that's, yeah, yeah.
0: no, no, I I like that, right. Like I like the concept of starting small. I think a lot of people feel like they have to jump all the way in, like, okay, like I can't do it until I can take, make this big investment that I want to make. And really, I like the idea of starting small. And then I, I do like the mitigation factor. I tell people, look, like really detail out the worst case scenario and then connect with what can I do to mitigate that from happening? This, also, this is where
1: our lawyer... Lawyers, lawyer, yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> because lawyers are always like, let's get to the worst case scenario, nope. right? But nope. in the in the other side of the world I live in, the, the woo-woo abundance is, every, you know always think of the best case scenario and just don't even think about the worst case scenario. I'm like, no, let's do both. Let's think about the best case scenario and the worst case scenario. But then we can mitigate it or at least... But then I think the woo part is, And eventually you have to learn how to trust yourself. You have to trust yourself to take the actions that you need to take in order to get the results you want, but also trust yourself to navigate whatever happens. Like I can trust myself that if I make an investment and it's not going the way I want, that I can figure it out, that I can work around whatever I need to do to make it work out in my best interest as much as that could mean at the time. So really like tapping into yourself and looking for evidence of your ability to- to make things work, I think is is really important, right? But that plan, I think it is okay. I think it is okay to sit down and go, well, and I think sometimes the worst case scenario isn't as bad as we think when we actually put it on paper. We realize how how far-fetched we are. You know, I remember somebody saying, But Rita, what if I get a VA and like all of a sudden I'm living like in a cardboard box on the side of the road? I'm like, wait, there are like a million steps between getting a virtual <laughs> assistant and like having to live in a cardboard box on the side of the road. Like, where could you cut that off so you're not there? She's like, Okay, well, I, I probably never will because even the worst case, my parents are gonna let me live with them, right? I'm like, right? Like our brain though will dump us to to like the scariest outcome and I think if you stop it you're going to realize wait it's actually there are a lot of things I can do to stop that scenario from yeah. from happening but I love that the, the start it the start spot but one thing you said is you know like it's risky investing in real estate and a lot of people think entrepreneurship's risky but really isn't everything risky I mean when you have a job you don't know if you're going to get to keep it. You don't know if your employer is going to fire you or yep. keep. we have this false sense of security, I think in certain things when really everything is a risk. I don't think there's any, so, you know, it's thinking about it like mm-hmm. that. Um, how have you learned how to trust yourself though? Cause real estate, especially requires a lot of kind of following your instincts, following your, your, your gut, like saying, this is the time. This is the um, moment. There's not, you know, how, how have you done that? How have you, I don't know. I've never
1: really felt like I could trust my gut.
0: Okay. All right.
1: I I try not to do that. And I know there's a lot of this sort of myth about real estate being like, um, trust your gut kind of thing. Um, I don't, I try to do my research. Uh, But, you know, I do like simple things. So, you know, if you can pencil out a deal, on the back of an envelope, and it makes sense to me, then I could probably I will consider it, you know. Mm-hmm. And because if you take more than that to try to explain something, then maybe you are working too hard mm-hmm. <laughs> um, to make a transaction or a business work. Uh, so, so I, you know, I like to keep things simple. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I like I I tell when when people do come to me and say, "Rita, can you help me with a business plan?" I'm like, "No, that's not that's not what I do." And also, you don't really need one. Are you going to a bank to try to get a huge loan because you don't need a fancy 82-page business plan. But let's do a back of the napkin business plan, right? If we can fit yeah. it onto the back of a cocktail napkin, we probably know we're very clear, right? The more pages you have, the less clear you are. If we can get on the back of a napkin, super clear and keep it simple. And I think when you keep it simple, you then know, this is my goal. You very easily know how to make decisions because you know if it's getting you to that goal or not. And there's not a lot of complication. And so I really do believe that sometimes it's what allows you to trust your gut isn't so much trusting your gut as it is. I just got really clear. I got clear about what the outcome is that I want. And now I can clearly see how to get there because I kept it simple. And that's my philosophy of going all in. I'm focused on one outcome, one thing, one way of getting there, and it just stream streamlines the the process. So, yes. you know, the stopping complicating things is is really really important. But when it comes to money, I think we know that complication is what people love love to do. So, um, talk to me a little bit, right? Around you, you mentioned the concept around a lot of people have fear around money, and people definitely have fear around it. They who doesn't like to feel safe <laughs> and secure, and like they know how they're going to pay their bills and and everything like that. But what has been, I think, the biggest kind of mindset uh, shift that you've had since starting your journey with understanding money, understanding how it works, having a relationship with it that has allowed you to have like this healthy relationship where you're making decisions from the best interest of your business instead of fear-based decisions that are driven by scarcity or, or lack. What has helped you with that process?
1: I think I think every investor, if you want to be successful, you have to you have to have two games. You have to have the long game and the short game. So, the short game means you know sort of your um, cash flow type um, of investments, uh, things that will give you money that you can sustain yourself, your family, and and allow you to allow you to fuel the growth of your Long-term plans, so and then long-term, the long games is basically things that say a piece of land or a project that's going to take three years to to even break ground. You know, you can do that, and those are those tend to be riskier. Um, so what I do is there's a balance. You know, I try to do probably eighty percent in these you know cash flow type of things that allow me to um, sustain my, my lifestyle and, you know, and whatever I need. But then I have these really, really risky, <laughs> even by my standards investments where mm-hmm. if I lose, if I lose it, doesn't lose my, I, I, I won't lose my shirt. Uh, but if I do really well,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, then that's like, you know, sort of, you know, I, it's like life-changing money.
0: Life-changing money, right? And I think remembering that, connecting to that. So to put it kind of in the, mo- in the more woo, entrepreneur, like on- online world, right? What I take from that is, is very similar to what we were talking about at the beginning, about going all in on your business and people having a part-time job or another source of income. When, if you were to quit your job and not be able to comfortably pay your bills mm-hmm. and put food on the table, right? Right you will make, I believe you will make poor decisions around your business because you will make fear-based decisions. You will take clients you shouldn't take. You will do things you shouldn't do because the money. I need the money. I need the money. So if you can come, if you have a part-time job or you have another source of income that allows you that stability, what you're talking about, to feel comfortable, you will make better decisions Mm -hmm. and riskier decisions that could pay off in the long run for your business. So I do think it's so important that you not come at your business from a a, a true place of lack where you really are struggling right? And so I love that you say that because I think, you know, I people are like, well, how do I, I said, look, there are a couple of ways you can fund your business, right? One is a loan from a bank, which really, it's hard to get for a small business, especially a solopreneur business. You could borrow money from your family and friends, which is a terrible idea. You can take money out of your savings account, also not the best idea, or you could have a day job. <laughs> and the day job is like the loan that you're taking to fund your business so that you can eat and be safe and make like smart decisions around around your business so i really like that you you said that and then thinking about that long term Mm -hmm. that long term game in terms of like what's my bigger vision and what could move the needle forward the most and then saying but i i try again i trust that if it doesn't work out i've got things in place Mm -hmm. to be able to mitigate that right i think that trust piece is so is so important um so rich dad all of these. Do you do any money mindset work? Have you read any books around money? My, like like uh, thinking, grow rich, or any of the – Do you do anything on a daily basis to kind of cultivate a healthy? Or are you like super practical and you're like no? I'm no, I mean work I do.
1: Um, I mean I I started meditating not too long ago. Uh, so I use an app for that, okay. and yeah. you know I think that's helpful because I've been feeling like I've been in a. Um, sort of mindset where I'm not exactly sure what my next step is, uh, regarding my investments. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm trying to, and I, I feel like this happens every once in a while and, and it always comes out better. If I have, if I just not do anything and just sit around and think about this thing, um, and something emerges, uh, usually. and so i'm I'm in that zone right now. I'm trying to wait. I'm waiting for some sort of enlightenment <laughs> um, <Yeah.
0: laughs> Well, it comes like that's such a good point too, because I think, especially when you are in the entrepreneur world and you feel like you should be doing something, right? Like, uh, oh, I should be doing something because I am the sole breadwinner for my business or whatever I should be doing, doing, doing. And when you're so busy doing, and you don't have the space and the silence to sit and think, You can't be innovative, and you can't have that clarity about what. So, Bill Gates. This is going to bring us to something I want to talk about with you. So, not about Bill Gates, but but Bill Gates apparently takes himself away for like a week to a cabin where he just sits like in silence and lets thoughts like wash over him and comes up with innovation and clarity and the the next steps. Right? Do you do anything like that when you're in a moment like this, or to give yourself besides the meditation that space? Well,
1: so I mean, I do a lot of. I mean. I don't know if you uh, you know I do pottery, so that's like one of the most. I have heard,
0: I have heard, and I have seen, I have seen the pottery, a lot of pottery, but that's really cool.
1: Yeah, so it's 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 something that allows me to um, do something that you know because my hands are dirty. I can't answer phone calls. I can't do anything. I can't talk.
0: I like that. I like that that you just literally could not text,
1: text or anything. Yeah. Get distracted. Right. Yeah. So that allows me to to really think about or just not think. actually it takes my mind away from from, you know, things I'm dealing with. And then eventually when I come back to it, I'm refreshed. Uh, I
0: think it's so important to pull yourself away. Like in the moments where you're feeling challenged or frustrated or unsure or lacking clarity, I know that our desire is to do more. Oh, I need to do more. I need to fig- I need to do more to figure it out. really you need to do less and you need to pull away. And I love that. that it,
1: keeping- it sounds counterintuitive, but I think I think uh, part of the problem when, you know, it's kind of like studying for an exam, right? You you spend hours on this thing and everything just looks like a good blur. Yeah. You know, if you step away, go do something fun, come back. You know, it works.
0: Uh, Yes, guys, that's a huge lesson, right? I I tell people when they're like, Rita, I'm sitting here in front of my computer and I don't know what to write and I don't know what to put my newsletter and I don't know how to get my next client. And I'm like, go for a drive, go do something fun, go get some ice cream, go ride a bike, go walk through a garden, go do something, get away, back away from the computer. I think you
1: really need to give yourself permission to do it because I think entrepreneurs have this tendency, like, I need to be hustling. I need to, you know, it's like hustle, 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 right? But- it just doesn't give you room to actually grow.
0: No, and that's why – so one of your uh, partnerships, the friend that we have in common, her name is Marcia, and she runs a company called Charm Cardinals, but she also created something called Her Hideaways. And Her Hideaways is this concept that I know she had for a long time, simmering and big – but the concept of kind of curated custom getaways for women um, to connect with themselves or to connect with their friends, but kind of like – all-inclusive, really interesting curated, events. And one thing that I do in one of your Airbnb properties uh, often is I take myself on a quarterly solo retreat where I go away and I kind of pull my own Bill Gates and and I'm really quiet and I'm I'm thinking and I'm like planning and I'm doing all of that. And so I am pulling away from the hustle and the day-to-day of my business and the texting and the emails and the clients. And I'm going somewhere where I can just kind of sit and be away from that, be in a different environment, and really have some insight around innovation and next steps for my business. And I find that so important. And while I do it for a business purpose, doing it in any area of your life, kind of like when you're feeling overwhelmed and you need to get away on your own so that maybe you can understand why your health is stalling or why your relationship is like hitting a, a brick wall or why you're not feeling happy in your job or why you know just getting away that—that that from the day to day and really tapping into you is so important. So I love that you do the pottery as like a hobby. I mean, I assume you enjoy it, right? You make a lot of pottery. I assume you like it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so what do you do with all the pottery that you have? Where? where, What do you do with it? Do you sell it?
1: I do. um, So so that's the other business I have. Um, I have a... um, So... One of my Airbnb buildings on the first floor is a retail space and I previously, you know, rented it to a company uh, and they outgrew the space. They did really well. And, you know, I took it over and I was thinking I'll just use it as my my office, which I did. And then eventually my pottery wheel moved in and I started doing pottery there. And it was like my man cave uh, for a year. And then I realized, hey, you know, this is really a retail space. How do I take advantage of this? And I feel like it was underutilized. But I met a a, a friend who who already owned a, a gallery in Alexandria for a few years. It was this small space. Um, she was looking to expand, so um, she came to look at it and and decided to uh, basically rent part of it from me. So now she sells her stuff. She sells artwork from local artists. Uh, the shop is called Local Color uh, of Old Town. in in It's in Ocaquan. Um and you know she sells my pottery. Uh, so so it's kind of cool actually. I never really sold my pottery, but now it's like consistently. You know, people are buying
0: them. Entrepreneurs, we can't have just a hobby, can we? It's like, no, but I'm, what are you gonna do? Like, so my my hobby for a while was going to those paint and sip classes where you go and you paint uh-huh. the paintings with
1: uh, we actually do that at the, at the I'm
0: terrible like, at it, Roger. I'm terrible at oh. it. But I love it. I love it so much. But my husband was like, if you come home with one more canvas, <laughs> like if you come home with one more canvas that we just put in the garage, right? Like, can we just start uh-huh. repainting over the same canvas over and over, please? Because but you know, and and I guess if I had been good at it, I probably would have decided. Well, how can I make money? <laughs> how can I make money yeah. off of this, right? Because that's what we do to ourselves. Yeah. So the Her Hideaways, our friend, so you are now yeah. a partner in yes. this company, Her Hideaways. What made you want to invest in that concept and invest in that company?
1: Sure. So I think um, I would say about a year ago, I had this sort of inspiration or epiphany that I felt like, um, I think part of it is, I was doing a lot of investment ventures where I felt like my heart wasn't in it and it would, there were things that, okay, I'm doing this for the money and then it's not really, not really impactful. <laughs> and, but then when they go sideways, I end up having to spend time and energy on it. Then, then it becomes like a burden. Mm-hmm. You know? um, so I thought about this. I said, you know, this is not a really good use of my time. Um, so I decided in the future, if I were to do any kind of joint venture with anybody, it would have to be something that's meaningful and with people I care about. So, so Marsha is a friend of ours. Um, our kids actually go to school together. So, you know, so, it's so, uh, and, and, you know, she manages my Airbnb's. And so she's somebody, you know, I feel like, you know, I want to work with, you know, especially after the experience of her um, operating my Airbnb so well, you know, so when she brought this to me and I could, I mean, the concept is very simple to me in terms of, I understand it because, you know, we have three kids. My wife takes care of them at home and she never get a break. Mm -hmm. And and she doesn't give herself permission to take a break. And I think also the concept of peeling yourself away for a few days for yourself is overwhelming. Um, You know, how do you, how do you actually go about this? And we had an experience at the Airbnb where a woman had booked a five-day stay it was probably about a year ago and she booked like six months ahead of time stay. And you know, Airbnb makes you sort of tell the host why you're coming. Mm -hmm. And so she said, Hey, I work for a government contractor. I have a husband and four kids. I'm just really, really worn out. I just want to come and spend a few days to paint. Mm
0: -hmm. That's all. Yeah.
1: You know, be alone and paint. And I thought, Oh, this is really exciting. I can totally see why you want to do this. And, um, and that's the cool thing about airbnbs you sort of become very personal with people and 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 then but then the unfortunate thing is a week before her actual stay she canceled so she said i just can't hack it there's just too many things i have to think about too many things i have to work through before i can take this staycation yeah you know and so when Marsha brought this to me this idea to me i thought this makes sense but what we need to do is we need to empower people. We need to educate them. We need to allow them to give themselves a break, and also we need to tell them we need to we need to logistically help them figure out how to do this, and also emotionally they need to feel okay with it, because, you know, just to give you an example, you know, uh, I mean sometimes I feel like well maybe if my You know, sometimes my wife might feel like, hey, if I go away for two days, is Roger going to keep the kids alive? (laughs) You know, that's kind of a question, Mm -hmm. you know, but to me, it's not a question. I'll keep them alive. They might not dress too well, (laughs) um, but they'll have great stories to tell, you know, and 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 that's the thing, you know, and, you know, I think. People need to like get comfortable with it. Yeah, um, and I think we, when we launched about a month ago, a month and a half ago, we had a launch event. A lot of people came, and we, every I, you know, the as the day went along, I described it with Marshall to these people, and I realized, you know, just the reaction I got. It's very visceral. It's sort of like this. Oh, I need this. How come this was not around when I was younger? When I was working, you know. So, so so I felt like this is something that there's a there's a need for um, and so I, I'm more and more convinced that hey this is an impactful meaningful project
0: yeah, yeah I love I love that I, I think it is um, interesting how that idea of taking time taking a break taking your time, time for yourself in our society today especially has become very uh thought of as oh i'm being selfish right i'm being selfish i shouldn't do this i'm i'm like doing something that's i shouldn't do i should feel guilty about this i should feel whatever way when really it's kind of like that's the thing that allows you to be a great spouse and a great parent and a great worker and a great business owner and a great whatever is when you have those moments to really take care of yourself. And I think there's a, a difference between being like selfish and actually being selfless by saying, I need to be the best version of myself so I can take care of, of other people. But I love that that you guys have kind of embarked on this bigger mission of permission mm-hmm right per- permission to to be to to be that best version and so I'm very grateful for it because I know I'm going to look forward <laughs> to to my getaway here and I think in my next episode oh, I'm going to be taking people behind the scenes of my solo retreat because that's what I get asked a lot what do you do on a quarterly solo business retreat Reed? I don't really understand what you're doing to step into the CEO role and so I'm really excited to take people behind the scenes of that too um but let's kind of I want to loop back to one more concept before we, we Wrap up here. There's so many. I mean, I've put down bullet points of like, you know, the themes of this conversation have been like trust, trusting yourself, trusting your ability to make it work out, keep it simple. Keep it small. You don't have to do everything overnight, including investing. You can keep it in, in stages and really keep your eye on on the big meaning and why you're doing something. And it's okay to give yourself permission to do a whole bunch of different things, right? But and the the money piece, I think, is so important in cultivating a healthy relationship with money. And that's a, that could be a whole that could be a whole podcast. I mean, it is a whole podcast by itself for a lot of people. But um, the concept of what I, li- what I liked what you touched on at the beginning is I wanted to make money, but I didn't want it to mean that I'm working all the time. And so this is the other thing with entrepreneurs I see a lot is like hard work equals money. Working lots of hours equals money. And if I'm pulling back, if I'm taking a break, if I'm not working a lot, then that means no money. Or if it feels too easy, I must be doing something wrong. That's not the path to money, right? Because we're kind of ingrained with work hard, make money, work overtime, work these hours, and then you're a hard worker. And being a hard worker, you can make money, right? So how have you like kind of embraced or been able to step into, wait a minute, a lot of work doesn't necessarily mean A lot of money and it doesn't have to feel difficult and hard to be able to make money. How have you broken it? Because the lawyer lifestyle is billable hours around the clock, bill, 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 work, work, work. And that is like dollar for hour right? And that's another thing entrepreneurs face is like, well, Rita, I can't charge somebody $300 per hour for what I'm doing. They go to the dollar per hour mentality. How have you broken away from the work hard, work all the time, dollar per hour equals lots of money into, uh-uh, there's like a completely different way to think about time and money and the relationship with them?
1: Right. Well, I mean, to tell you the truth, I still work a lot. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, yeah. and you ask my wife, I still, you know, I mean, I, I probably work more than you know, the typical full-time person who works for a job. It's just the things I do are so different yeah. that a lot of times they just don't feel like work to me. I think for me, I realized maybe, you know, and, and I think in the beginning I was, I had this feeling that I had to work all the time and, um, if I wasn't working and because the thing is we, we eat what we hunt as entrepreneurs. So, so you have to be hunting, you know, and you're only as good as your last deal. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so for me, um, I think it happened when I realized there are a lot of things that I am not good at. There are other people who can do it better. So the goal was you know, the idea was, okay, how do I leverage those other people, you know? So that led me into uh, doing equity investments in with other developers who have been doing this for 30, 40 years. Yeah. And yeah. that's all they do. And all I have to do is, hey, I need to make sure I check their numbers. You know, I put my capital with them. Um, I make some suggestions as I go, but I don't, you know, I don't get into the day-to-day. with a lot of these
0: people. I love everything you're saying right now. That's going to be like when I have you back in the future, we'll talk all all about this too (laughs) because, right, I think that that's the other thing with especially high achievers, high performers, perfectionists, entrepreneurs, a lot of people that go down the entrepreneur path is I have to do it all myself, right? Mm -hmm. And like you have to accept there are just some things that people are better at than you and that's okay and that doesn't mean Mm -hmm. anything about you and trusting and delegating and allowing other people to step in, whether it's a partnership or it is an assistant or it's an employee or whatever, allowing other people to to do that is a sign of strength and not a sign of weakness. And I think a lot of people feel like if I'm saying I can't do this and I can't do it well, then I'm saying that I'm not good and I'm not weak or or that I'm not strong. And so I love that, that you've you've said that that like what's
1: and I think people need to get used to procrastinating
0: (laughs) yeah (laughs) that they don't need to feel bad about it that they should embrace it
1: you don't don't need to feel bad about procrastinating you know (laughs)
0: yeah like if you beat yourself up over it right then it becomes like you said a chore it's like if you should be doing something if it's like oh I should be doing this I have to be doing this why am I not doing this your brain is gonna say that sounds terrible why are we doing things we don't want to do right but if you're like no, it's, it's okay, right? Like, and I want to do it and I'll do it later and I've got a plan and I know how to get back on track, like, then it's fine and you're going to want to go back and, and do it. That brain, i tell you, that mind. It, it, but I do. So guys, I love what Roger said here, right, about you don't have to do it all but you also don't have to do it all yourself and you can have partners and you can have people in your life that are better at something than you. And,
1: and frankly, I realize, I come to realize I'm I'm not an expert in anything. Right. So... Why don't I just make a bunch of friends who are experts? Ah, oh, So good. I love it. So have them do what they do. And
0: have them do so. what they do so I can do what I do. And like, if if you hear, this is also, Marsha and I were kind of talking about this when we got together the other day around the concept of being the best at something, right? People who are like, I have to be an expert and I have to be the best. And I heard a podcast, I forget, I'll I'll find out what it was and I'll put it in the show notes, guys. But I was listening to a podcast and, the the speaker was saying, I don't want to be the best because that's a ceiling. That's a limit. If you hit the best, then where do you go? Right. I just want to be better. I just like wanna be better. And if I can just always ask, how am I better? Then there's always room to grow. There's always room to pivot and change. But if you're aiming for the best, you cap out. Like there's nowhere to go after you're the best, right? And so I love that about the expert. I think people are like, I have to be an expert. But being an expert, I think the best experts are the ones that are like, I'm not the best at this. I have ways of seeing it and talking about it and I can help you do certain things. But also I have people that advise me and mentor me and help me and I'm not the best, right? I'm just better and I can be better and you can be better and we can all be better together. Right. So, um, so cool. So Roger, the way that I end these podcast episodes, I kind of do like a little rapid fire bullet point Mm -hmm. section where I just ask you some questions and I don't want you to overthink it. And you might just say nothing or I don't have anything and that's fine. But, um, so what is a life motto that you have or a motto that you think you like for governing kind of where you are with your life right now?
1: Um, I want to do meaningful things with people I care about.
0: I like that. That's good. What is on your podcast playlist? Do you listen to podcasts?
1: I do. I listen to um, I listen to NPR Politics. I listen to How I Built This. I listen to. Um, there's one that's really good. I recently got introduced to. It. It's called The Science of Success. Okay. Um, so, um, so I like that one. Um, what else?
0: <laughs> well, I'm gonna check. Those are some I haven't. So I'm gonna check those out. The especially the science of science. Find those, yeah. Okay. Cool. And then, what about books that you're reading? Any books on your nightstand right now that are like popping out? Is there a book you're you're loving right now?
1: Um, I'm reading this book called Just Mercy. Okay. It's, it's about um, uh, Brian Stevenson, who's a who's an attorney who uh, was basically working with death death row uh, inmates. Uh, it's very it's a very good book. I don't know. I read uh I read I read all kinds of books. It's yeah. Yeah, no, cool. Um One at a time. <laughs> what is
0: something people would be surprised to find out about you? What would what's something that people would just be sh- surprised if they're like, Oh my gosh, I learned that about Roger. That's so surprising. I don't know. Nothing? Like everybody <laughs> knows everything about me, like it's all Yeah.
1: I mean, I th- I, th- I, th- I think people stop being surprised. <laughs>
0: That's good. Like, I think that people just <laughs> gave up on being surprised. Is there yeah. is there anything that I didn't ask you about that you wish I had asked you about?
1: No, I think you covered it all. Okay.
0: All right. Cool. Well, I am so glad that you were here. I really do think that there were so many takeaways and so many nuggets in this for people. Um, and here's a book for your nightstand I want to tell you about if you haven't read it. It's called Happy Money. Happy Money. It's by, uh-huh. um, I think his name is Ken Honda. I'll put the the note, guys, I'll also put this in the show notes. Um, it's fascinating. It's around the Japanese art of money. And it, it talks about happy money and sad money. And like, where does your money come from? And was it happy? And it's a mix of kind of the mindset with very practical steps because he grew up in a family of bankers and investors and um, I think you it's a quick read but I think you'd really um, enjoy the book so happy mom. Um, um, but guys so thank you uh, thank you so much and, and check in on next week on the episode of read and Make Me do it where I will be taking you behind the scenes of my quarterly solo retreat telling you how I step into being a CEO and how I use things like her hideaways and Rogers Airbnbs to get away why that's so important and what I do with it all so that I grow my business to the level that I want and how you can too so I will talk to you next week on another episode of the Rita Mimi Do It Show. Thanks, everyone. Next time on the Rita Mimi Do It Show, are you frustrated that you just aren't reaching your sales goals? Do you feel a little overwhelmed by everything that goes into running your business and maybe even a little bit confused about what you need to do to generate that income that you really want to make? And and sometimes you sit there and you wonder, is it a marketing problem? (laughs) Like maybe people aren't seeing me or I just don't have the right copy or um, maybe my whole entire lead generation system just needs to be adjusted. Or you could be sitting there wondering if it's a sales problem. Like if you could just learn how to overcome objections, then life would change. (laughs) Or maybe you're not even great at asking for the sale and you're like, if I could just get a script a sales script that'll help me ask for it, then, then my business would really be on fire. Or you could be like, look, it's just time. I'm already maxed out doing everything that I can do and I don't have any more time to do more to make more money. But you're just frustrated in general because you're unsure of what to do, right? To find that audience or to market differently or to sell differently Or to change your day so that you can have these new results that you want. And prospective clients, they they come to me with this. They come to me frustrated that they aren't hitting their sales goals. And they think that they have all of these same problems that I just shared with you. But really what they have is a stopping problem. See, success isn't about what you are doing. It's really about what you're not doing. And in this case, it's about what you have doing. And so then all of these thoughts come along with the stopping. And it's not, it's not about finding a different Facebook group to be in or learning a new sales script. So you close calls better or finding potential clients that quote unquote have money. You know, that's not where success in your business comes from. Success in your business comes from who you are being and not what you're doing. I'm gonna say that again, who you are being and not what you are doing. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about showing up as the CEO of your business so that you make decisions that move your business forward. And that that involves up-leveling your business mindset so that you up-level your bank account. In today's episode, we talk about stepping into the shoes of the CEO of your business instead of being that perpetual employee. Like, what does that even mean, being the CEO? And how do you do it? I am going to share that with you today. I'm going to share with you what you need to know to be a CEO that runs your business instead of the employee that's kind of run by it. Because that is the difference between failure and success. That's the difference between hitting your revenue goals or not. So how do you do it? How do you get out of work mode and get into the CEO mode? Well, let's dive in so that you can be the CEO of your business today. Hey, before you go, thank you for listening to my show. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please take a minute to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcast, and leave a review. It'll only take you a second, but it will help other people discover the A Mimi Do It Show. And my goal is to share this business boosting and life-changing content with as many people as possible. In fact, because I value your time so much, every month, one reviewer will win a free coaching call with me. So if you want to get laser focused and go all in on the results that you most want in your business, then leave a review now. And then head on over to RitaMamieDoIt.com where you can find the show notes from today's episode.